Welcome to Our Calcutta. My name is Kelly Burt. I am a cradle Catholic who had a major reversion to my faith in my adult life. After having this encounter with Christ, I began searching for ways to serve Him. I soon discovered that our world around us, where our Father has placed us, is where we are called to serve. These are my experiences, and I hope that by joining me in my Calcutta, you'll discover a little bit more about yours. Hello, welcome to Our Calcutta. I am Kelly Burt, and I am so happy to be with you today. In case some of you did not see our latest Instagram post, I wanted to bring you up to date that we've had a little change in the Our Calcutta podcast and that Amanda has decided to focus on some other areas of her ministry right now. So she has decided to step away from the podcast and we'll miss her very much. So now you are stuck with me. Now it is my Calcutta, Our Calcutta. We'll keep the name the same, but it'll be more focused on my experiences in my own Calcutta and with this new change, kind of an exciting thing is that we have decided to feature guests and to bring people on to kind of explain how they live their Calcutta in their day-to-day life. So as I was preparing for this episode, I had a lot of thoughts and prayers about who I wanted to bring on as my guest in this new format. And a name kept coming to mind. It was somebody who is a good friend of mine who I've known for years and years. His name is Deacon Pete Pronko. So uh, Deacon Pete, welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I chose Deacon Pete because, like I said, I've known him for years. He's been a parishioner at the same church that I am at Annunciation. We go back, I think, to 2013, 2014 time period. I think it was even before that. Maybe before that, yeah. yeah. We had our, our brand new priest, Father Benjamin Leonards, yeah. came to the to the church. And he, Father Benjamin, I feel like he's like a, a third party in this, in this podcast because he's mentioned so often. So he's always present. And he introduced me to, at the time, Pete Pronko and, and said, you got to get to know this guy. This guy's pretty cool. And, and so I did. And, and he and my husband hit it off uh, right away. They're both major sports fans. And I've always looked up to Pete and now Deacon Pete, I've been very inspired by his faith and the way that he lives it out. So I'm really excited to talk to him today. I'm really excited to introduce him to all of you. So thanks again for being here. I appreciate it. So kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Deacon Pete on is because I think from my view, he has one of the coolest stories about his walk in faith. And I feel like, am I right, Deacon Pete, to say that I feel like you've also had a a reversion to your faith in your adult life, so kind of similar to me. And so I just kind of wanted to share that with all of you. But before I do, let me go back a little bit and tell you about Deacon Pete. So he was just ordained in 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. What a year to be ordained. We'll never forget it. (laughs) And so he's also married. He has two children, also Peter and Tazi and his beautiful wife, Dawn. And so uh, he is an active dad and catechist and does beautiful ministry with RCIA. Are you, you're doing I still with RCIA also with the kids and I still do jail. Well, we're hoping to get back into the jails for jail ministry. I, I heard there's a rumor we might be opening back up and allow, at least allowing me to come in and do a communion service with some of the guys in the Seminole County jail soon. So we're hoping we're, uh, we're praying. That, yeah. We'll, we'll pray for that. Cause I'm yeah. sure those guys have kind of been, cut off from that ministry this yeah you know it's been tough i I pray for them all the time because we you know for years i've been going in there weekly and there's a you know a ministry team that would go in there every thursday night and and you get to know the guys and you connect with the guys and you connect with their stories and you know for me that ministry has probably been one of the most impactful in my Mm -hmm. life in that like 
I get ministered to, like I encounter Christ in the jail. So I was like, yeah, I can't wait to go to jail. It kind of freaks people <laughs> out, but, uh, it's been, you know, it's been a tough year cause those guys have, you know, they're, they're there and, uh, I just continue to pray for them and, uh, I'm looking forward to getting back and reconnecting, yeah. uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, yeah. and reconnect with those relationships that you had, had started. I'm sure they're missing out on that as well. I think maybe we can all add to our prayer list that you guys will will be able to, to open that up. So Deacon Pete, I was wondering if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about where you grew up and kind of your background and in regards to just, I don't know, geographically and also at, in the church. What was what was your childhood like as a young Catholic? Well, I grew up in Titletown, Boston, Massachusetts, <laughs> actually just outside, about 20 miles west of the city. Uh, I joke because I'm a huge Boston sports fan. I like to give your husband, Aaron, a tough time being a, <laughs> a Cleveland fan. It's been a little bit of a drought for them. <laughs> But yeah, I grew up uh, about 20 miles west of uh, Boston. Uh, I came from a, a good Catholic family where, you know, it, it was a small town, but we were really rooted and grounded in our faith. My, you know, my dad, I grew up in the same church that my dad grew up in and that my grandfather grew up in wow. and that my great grandfather actually, I think he helped lay the bricks for it back. He was a, uh, a Polish Russian immigrant, uh, you know, back around the turn of the century. So. The, the parish was really the, the center of our community, the center of our life. Everything we we did was focused around that. And my dad, I think, really instilled uh, just this this faith in me that, uh, you know, he planted the seeds that, uh, you know, have continued to be watered throughout my life. And, I, you know, I thank God for that because uh, it still bears fruit to this day. You know, it's those, it's those early years that he really uh, formed me and it made such an impression on my life. You know, everything we did was focused around the church. So, you know, it's New England. If it snows and like they're getting a snowstorm up there today, you know, if it snows at home, it'd be okay, you shovel dad out so he can get to work. Then you go down and you shovel the church. Then you go to the other side of town, you shovel your grandfather out. <laughs> uh, you know, in the fall, when the, when the leaves would fall, you know, you, you rake the leaves at the church and the rectory first, then you rake your yard. Everything we did focused around the church, you know, and back then it was a, it was a Polish community. There weren't a lot of youth because again, I was fourth generation. Uh, so a lot of the Polish speaking immigrants, it was starting to kind of, they were blending in and assimilating into the, into the culture. It was an old mill town. So they came there to work the mill and the mill had since closed years before I was even born. I say all that to say that there weren't many youth. And then when you received your first communion, the next week you were expected, if you were a boy, to be up on the altar serving as an altar boy. So, you know, at age seven, you know, that's when I received my first communion. And literally the next week I was on the altar serving. And, and that must have been terrifying. Do you remember? Do you have memories of it? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I looked forward to it. Okay. There was like, there was a lot of pride associated because okay. it's, you know, my dad had been a great, you know, my dad and my uncle had been altar boys in that church. My grandfather, you know, wow. who was still there sitting out in the pews, you know, was an altar boy there. Mm -hmm. So I almost felt like I was carrying on a little bit of the family legacy. It was a rite of passage. It was a rite of passage. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. I, I loved, I loved serving at mass. Okay. And I, th I feel like that's so unique, especially for those of us that are from Florida, because that's, we kind of have a more transient you know, uh, yeah. community. And so you don't get that generation after generation. I think we're starting to get that a little bit more now, but that's really interesting to me that you would go and shovel the church, you oh, know, yeah. or the rake the leaves there. That's, yeah. that's really 
an amazing thing. So you're altar serving and your your life kind of revolves around the church. Would it, as you got older, did you continue to well, be involved? I, yeah, yeah, I was super involved. I, I, you know, really, I, I was an altar boy right up until I was 17 years old. But, you know, as I started to get older, I see, you know, the church was the center of our community. But then, you know, like you, you start to get other interests as well growing up. And I love sports and I was a hockey player and I started to get different opportunities to to travel and, and to play hockey around New England. And uh, it's funny because, you know, no matter where we were playing, whether it was maybe up in Burlington, Vermont, or, you know, down in Connecticut or Rhode Island, wherever we were, if we were playing on the weekend, my dad always made sure that, you know, we attended mass. Like mm. that was always, that was always a priority. And, and he really kind of instilled that in me mm-hmm. at a young age. But, you know, as you get older and in high school and you start to play more travel leagues and you get busy. So you're, you know, I was traveling a, a lot more. And it's funny, like I had become kind of like the priest's right hand. I was the altar server that always got called for everything. You know, I'd serve multiple masses on a weekend. You know, we're a Polish church. I felt like we had like a, a novena or something going on all the time <laughs> for something. Right. Right, so I, I really felt like that was my home away from home. And I remember when I was 17, there began to be a little bit of tension because the priest said, you know why, you know, you sure are traveling a lot for hockey. And I'm like, well, you know, I've got these opportunities, but don't worry, I'm going to mass. Well, I remember one time when I was 17, it was uh, it was a Saturday night mass. It was up there. By now, my brother's up there serving with me. You know, and the priest, I look back now and I realized his intentions. But at the time, a 17-year-old, I didn't. You know, during his homily, he talked about how, some people have put other priorities before God. Some people put hockey before God. <laughs> and man, I felt like I got punched in the gut. I mean, Ooh. I looked at my brother. I could see my mom turning bright red, you know, sitting out in the pews. I could see my grandfather starting to sweat, you know, and this is like a February. Um, you know, I could just feel the heat. And I felt like everybody was staring at me because I was the only hockey player in the small community, everybody Ooh, knew, rough. you know, yeah. So it was kind of rough. I, I, I knew I'm like, and, and you know what? I looked at my brother. He's like, let's get out of here. And we walked off the altar. I, I felt, I felt hurt. I felt betrayed. I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, here I'd been there. Like I'm the first one to come down to, to shovel, you know, to shovel the driveway, shovel the walkways, to rake the leaves, you know, to serve any chance I got. And I, and I felt like, you know, it was just, to me, it just, it almost felt like a betrayal. Right. But again, I was 17 mm-hmm. and, and looking back now, I realize, you know, the priest was well-intentioned and he probably just didn't go about it the best way. Right. But, you know, in my 17 year old mind, I wanted nothing to do with the church. I'm like, peace out. Oh, wow. You know, I'm putting all my eggs in the hockey basket. Okay. And so that, you know, uh, and, and that deeply affected my family as well, because, you know, this was a church my dad grew up in and now he wanted no part in it. You know, in fact, we started going to the Irish church on the other side of town. It's funny, this little mill town, right? You know, everything up there is, tends to be more ethnic, right? So you had like the, the Polish Catholic church and then you had like the Irish Catholic church. See, and it was always the joke because the Polish community used to worship in the basement of the Irish church until they got their own church, right? I can imagine the joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, for my, my mom and dad to like say, all right, we're going back. My mom was Irish. So, you know, to go back to the Irish church, they were like, okay, but. It, nothing was ever the same. Right. You know, there was always that tension there. It goes, my dad, my dad had gone to parochial schools his entire life, went to Jesuit mm-hmm. high school, went to, uh, you know, St. Anselm's in New Hampshire. He was a philosophy major. And he, you know, he was the one that really, really instilled the faith in me. And I don't think he's ever fully 
recovered from that. You know, mm. there's been a series of other things, but you know, that deeply affected him. And I wanted nothing to do with church. So it was a main kind of turning point for your entire family, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I'd say so. So what did that look like as you kind of, so you, you say you're 17, I'm assuming around senior in high school. So now as you're junior, looking at yeah. going, going away to college, being on your own. So what did yeah. that, that kind of look like throughout your, your college years as you had had that experience? Well, you know, I, I really, there was a change in my personality at that point. Mm. You know, I started to yeah, I was a little bit of a hockey bully, <laughs> you know, if I'm being honest, uh, you know, and, and but hockey was my life. I worked at the hockey rink. I played on travel teams. You know, I played on the high school team. Like for me, like I wanted to go play college hockey and, mm-hmm. you know, I had an opportunity, you know, my freshman year, I went to a big East Coast school and I blew it. Mm-hmm. My ego and my pride got the better of me. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, during that time, like I had different people that would, would try to get me to go to the Newman Center on campus and go to and I'd go once in a great while. But I was just I was just depressed. Like I was angry. I was depressed. I had a choice to make. Am I going to go? Am I going to go transfer schools and try to play at another place? Or I was just done with the politics of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm out. I wanted to get as far away from hockey and as far away from the Northeast as possible. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go to Arizona because the only ice they got out there is the bottom of a Coke glass. So <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I went out to Arizona. You know, at that point, I, I was I was done playing hockey, at least competitively. Uh, I'd really gotten into weightlifting and powerlifting, and uh, I joined a fraternity out there, something I never would have done on the East Coast, but out there, they're like, oh, no, it's so different here. you got to check it out. <laughs> Join the fraternity. I mean, I, I lived, I mean, I went to Arizona State, and, and if, if, if I'm being honest here, I lived the full uh, American college stereotypical experience. Experience. Yeah, there you go. I, I lived the experience. You know, okay. I was in the frat. I was I was bouncing. I was a bouncer for four nights a week at this uh, really popular bar out in Scottsdale. And, um, you know, I had a little bit of a reputation that like if. If you got thrown out of my bar, um, you'd remember the experience. Oh, man. <laughs> so that gives me a very clear picture, I feel like, of of kind of the, the, the peat of the college years. So fraternity, weightlifting, bouncing at a bar. I was a meathead. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining like Coke cans on the forehead kind of <laughs> yeah, crushing yeah, yeah, yeah. type thing. Um, so in regards to your faith during that time, was it just non-existent? Were you, I mean, you had had that, that basis as a, as a kid. So did you feel a pull or were you just kind of, what, what was that? I was always searching. Okay. I was always searching. You know, even when I was at the East Coast school, you know, one of my electives I took was a, uh, was a philosophy course um, because I wanted, I wanted something more, you know, and then when I was at ASU, um, I had quite a few, um, undergraduate courses on, on religion, world religion. I was looking, right. And I would even go, you know, to the Newman center every now and then I would talk, I would, you know, sometimes friends would try to talk me into going to a non-denominational and I would, but like, I was hungry for something more, but I couldn't name what more was. Right. I was angry. Right. I was angry because, you know, I really I I think part of it was because of that experience I had, you know, where I had put all this faith in in the church of my youth. Um, I was angry because I wasn't playing hockey. You know what I love to do in many ways. I think I went out to the desert to hide. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this really was my desert experience. Oh. And it's funny because I would, when you're a bouncer at night on the slower nights, you get some characters that come in and out of there. And, I, and I'd be having like these almost like philosophical conversations with guys, <laughs> you know, at the bar. Right. But it, then I started reading. I started searching. It was funny. And then I had this friend of mine. She convinced me. She's like, look, we got to work. It was Christmas Eve. Like, we got to work. She goes, I want to go to a Christmas service. So I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll go with you. So she took me to this non-denominational Bible church. And I remember, like, I never heard anybody preach like this preacher. Like, he was walking around with his Bible. He was quoting his Bible. He was going here, there, and everywhere. And I'm sitting there like, no, no, I know the Bible. My dad taught me. I I had religion (laughs) courses. This guy's so wrong, right? And But I remember I left there that night, and we went to the bar. We worked, and I couldn't stop talking about what I had heard. And I went home, and I got home from you know, Christmas Eve, it was like probably two in the morning, you know, because the bar was open till one. I remember I went and I dug out, I had this old Oxford study Bible that I had from one of my religion courses. And I just started reading. I was up all night. I couldn't put it down because I wanted to prove this non-denominational pastor wrong. I was like, nah, this guy is absolutely wrong. I'm going to get it point for point. Boom, boom, boom. But the funny thing is, is I cannot put the Bible down. And to be honest with you, the next, you know, probably eight months of my life, I kind of went into this like cocoon where I would work, I go to class, I go to the gym, and then I come home and like I couldn't wait to get into the Bible. I read so the Bible you... cover to cover. Okay, so that was my question. You were just reading it cover to cover. I was cover? reading it cover to cover and I was going every week to this non-denominational church a lot of times by myself just cuz I'm like I'm going to prove them wrong this week. I'm going <laughs> to prove them wrong this week. And each week wow. I'd be like, "Nah, yeah, you're kind of right. I see where you're coming from." <laughs> right? And so it was like it was a process. Right. Right? The Holy Spirit was working on me because I started, you know, just being more open to the word of God. And to be honest, like, I was on fire for God. Like I, w- I started taking the Bible with me to the gym and in between sets, I'm like reading it. My buddies are making fun of me. Like, what's wrong with you, dude? And I'm like, no, like you don't understand this. You know, I'm pointing stuff out to them. And they're like, no, you're nuts. Finally, I, I just got to a point where I was like, yeah. Jesus, I need Jesus. I remember I, I was walking. Uh, there's a there's a green belt in Scottsdale, and I was walking down, and I had uh, an old pair of rosary beads that my grandparents had brought back uh, from Rome for me, and I, and I took them out of the sock drawer, and I'm and I'm walking, and and I'm just praying. I wasn't praying the rosary; I was just praying with them. And I remember I prayed to our Blessed Mother. I said, you know, Holy Mother, I got, I am not in a good place to come to Jesus right now. I need help. Help me, you know, lead me to your son, get me to the right. And honestly, I'll tell you, like, that's when things really changed. Wow. Like the Holy Spirit just took over. And like all of a sudden the Bible was making sense. But I didn't come back to the Catholic Church because I started to find community in these other churches. But I was always I was like church hopping or church shopping. I was like, you know, it's like a buffet. I was going and scooping what I liked and going on to the next place. Right, right. But I was I, I was on fire for God to the point like, you know, now I, I just graduated. I quit. I quit my job as a bouncer because I'm like, hey, I can't do this anymore. But then I became like that guy. I was the guy that stood outside the bar I worked at for four years telling everybody, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and like people would like, that's that's Big Pete. That's, What's he, you know, what? what? Wow. I'm like, that no, no, no. crushing no. cans on his forehead a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's holding the sign. And I remember I would get so frustrated because I'd come home and like I'd, I'd open my Bible up and I'd be like, Lord. What am I doing wrong? And I remember, like, I, I open, you know, to the to that scene, and when they come to take Jesus out of uh, 
you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh-huh. Remember what Peter does? He grabs the sword. Yeah. Right? And he cuts the soldier's ears off. Yeah. And, like, honestly, in my prayer, I felt like God was saying, you're cutting ears off. Right. It's like, what? But the word of God is a double-edged sword, and you don't know how to use it right now. And you're you're chopping ears off making more work for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And so, like, I kind of took a step back. But I was like, okay, God, what, I want to give my life completely to you. Right. Well, and I think that's so typical of those conversion moments, too. Amanda and I talked about that. I think it was one of our, our first episodes. Both of us had had these these moments of conversion where you have this encounter with the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and in your case with the Blessed Mother, which is so beautiful. And then you have this burning desire mm-hmm. to go out and to, you want other people to understand and experience the yeah. truth that you've just found. And I think so often I, I told a story in, in that episode about how I had decided that I was going to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. And help orphans. And it was Father Benjamin who kindly reminded me that I had a family, children, and a husband at home that I needed yeah. to stay home with. So I think we kind of all have these these moments of just being so excited, but yeah. yet not knowing where to channel it. And one of his pieces of advice for me that was so helpful was when Jesus gathered the disciples, he did not immediately send them out. Mm. He They stayed with him, you know, for three years and taught them. And so I think that's, the, we all kind of have that moment yeah. where we're like, okay. You want to get up and go. <laughs> yeah. We love the Lord, but I think we need to maintain and just kind of follow him. Yeah. So what did that look like? Did you find a church home or did you? I did. I had, you know, it's funny. I look back so fondly on that period, you know, because I was in my, my early to mid twenties and like I had this group of friends and we all came out of the bar, which was amazing. Wow. And like, I'm still in contact with most of them to this day. And it was almost like, um, you remember the show Friends? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like this group of friends that, right. like, during that period, except it was centered on, on Jesus. Wow. And so, like, we really, you know, we became our own little small faith community without calling it a small. Fa- I look back now, I'm like, oh, that was a small faith right. community. Right. But that was an awesome time in our lives because we were all on fire for God. We had the world ahead of us. We're just like, all right, God, wherever you want to go, let's go. And we were going, you know, and, and at that point, I started to get a little involved in some of the charismatic movement. I was on this amazing ride. I always joke. I always say, you know what? I have a Forrest Gump spirituality. <laughs> Forrest Gump? What is Forrest that? Gump. That means like, you know, I love the movie of Forrest Gump because it's like this guy just gets up and starts walking. He just shows up. And it's like life shows up. <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of been my life to some extent. Like I feel so blessed in that, like, I just keep moving. Right. And like God meets me. You know, it's funny in the Forrest Gump movie, there's like a white feather that floats throughout oh, the right. movie, the thread of the movie. That's wow. the Holy Spirit I that's never, been, yeah. you know, because I honestly, I feel like I've had such incredible experiences and such a, an awesome life and got to live in great places. I'm not saying this to like say, look at me, but I'm just like, I feel so blessed in that, like, I feel like Gump, man, you know, stupid is as stupid does. I just get up and keep moving and God shows up. Wow. You know, yeah. so it's like my only expectation is like, all right, God, where are we going today? What are we going to do? I mean, you get responsibilities. But like at that period of my life, when you're in your 20s, it's like, what an adventure. You know, right. God's, you know, if you're willing to say yes, things took off. You know, that that group it was funny because at that time, because now, you know, I'm graduating college. I had this plan where I was going to, you know, I had done like pre-med stuff. I got my minor in business. Um, I almost had a minor in history and religion because I had so many extra. It was Arizona State. I didn't really want to graduate. I wanted to keep going, right? You were having fun. I was having too good a time. <laughs> and so 
But I was like, what am I going to do with all this? Because I know I, at the time I, when I went into the pre-med, I wanted to go into physical therapy. But in my mind, I only wanted to work with athletes. Mm-hmm. And they're telling me, oh, no, you know, maybe the – I'm like, I don't want to work with the elderly. I want to work with, like, hockey players and football players. And But then I'm like, nah, I don't want to go to more school. And, and so I'm like, what do I do with this? So I'm like, I'm going to be a pharmaceutical salesman. So I got some sales experience right out of college. And, you know, I was on this track. I wanted to do pharmaceutical sales back in the 90s. But that's when I, I kept feeling this pull, like, God, there's something else you're calling me to. Hmm. And I remember I went, I thought God was calling me to be a Protestant pastor. And I actually interviewed for a Protestant seminary out there. And I was seriously, I, I felt called. I knew God was calling me. I just couldn't name it. Right. And my friends saw it in me and they would say, yeah, yeah no, no, you need to do this. And, and like I wanted that formation. You talk, you know, right. I, I wanted to stop chopping ears off. Right. Right. So I wanted I wanted that formation. Uh, you know, back then I wouldn't even call it formation. I would call it education. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was going to go to Bible school. It's funny. It, then I met a Protestant minister that changed that trajectory. Hmm. You know, I don't know if you want to get into that now or. Sure. Well, so so you meet. A Protestant minister. Well, how did the interview go at Bible school? Did you decide? Did you decide? Decide I, to I discern only, that that wasn't. Well, I hadn't discerned. So I'd filled out the application. I'd talked to people on the phone. They were pretty. You know, they, they were pretty much going to accept me. I'd interview. Yeah, I did interview. I now that I think back, I did. And I, you know, I had to give them a decision. I met this Protestant minister like one, and it was kind of chance. I was I was working. It's funny. My first job out of college, I was selling Nextel phones. You remember those? That's how yeah. old I am, right? Oh yeah. So I'm selling the push I'm the talk. The same age. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so my boss at the time, I come to find out, like the only reason he hired me because I had no sales experience was because he knew me as Pete the bouncer, and he knew that I became Pete the preacher guy out in front. So he's like. Something God was moving in him. He's like, I wanted to find out what happened. Because I had heard all the stories. And I saw you out there constantly flagging people. So he kind of hired me to kind of like figure out what's going on. And then as he got to know me, he's like, well, you know, my parents, they they follow this minister and blah, blah, blah. And they've been trying to get me. So like he kind of hired me because he was, God was calling him to something sure, else, right? right? So he's like, well, hey, my parents are coming into town with this minister. Would you like to go check him out? I, I had never, he was like a big televangelist. I never heard of him. Okay. Yeah, you know, I grew up northeast. Like you sure. know, was, you know, if it, if, it wasn't, if they weren't playing for the Bruins or the Celtics or <laughs> the Red Sox or the Patriots, I'm like, I, I, whatever. I don't know who you are. But I'm like, well, he's talking about Jesus. I'll go. And so I went that night by myself, and and I just had this incredible just encounter and praise and worship and and the presence of God. Just really, I look back, it was moving powerfully in my life at that time as well. I remember this guy looks at me and he goes, "You are not to go to pastor's college." I'm like, what? What are you talking about, dude? He's like, do you know who? I'm like, I don't know who you are. I go, I just came. Someone gave me a ticket. <laughs> right. And, and so then, we're talking about a big televangelist. It's people who had to get tickets to go to this event and well, all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, this, this particular event. And he comes and speaks to you. And well, Adam pulls me out of the crowd and says that. Wow. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you're not to go to pastor's college. I'm like, okay, sure. Then afterwards, he goes, we come back tomorrow night. I said, well, can I bring some of my friends? Because they're not going to believe this. So I brought, you know, my, my friend's group, you know, that peer group I had at the time. And they came, same kind of thing happened. And then that night, him and, and me and this minister and some of his family, we sat and we talked for hours to like 1.30 in the morning, 2 in the morning, which my group of friends got a little upset because I left them down in the lobby of the hotel. And I'm up having like a steak dinner at like midnight. So uh, this minister came to you again the second night and yeah. invited you invited to come up, up with he and his yeah. family. And he offered me a job that night. 
Wow. Look, I was 25. Okay. You know? And you, like you said, you had the world in front of you. You didn't have anything going on, but you loved Jesus. You said Jesus, I'm there. Okay. Thing is, like, at the time, like, I was so... I had that youthful innocence. Like, I had no I had no idea there were Christian celebrities. I had no clue. There were, you know, it was... Right. I had no... I had no idea this guy had written books and all this other stuff and that okay. all these people followed him and he would pack stadiums and sure. you know, would travel around the world to different countries. And that night he's like, you know, you want to come work for me? And I said, doing what? And he's like, we'll figure that out. And wow. so whatever. So I left that night. I told my friends we were joking about it. I gave them my number, and you know I'm like, we'll see if you see if they call, right? Well, you know I'm working out at the World Gym in Scottsdale. Well, a week and a half later, I get a phone call. Pastor would like to speak with you in an hour. Will you be available? I'm like, sure. Left the gym. We talked on the phone for about two and a half hours, and three days later, I was on a plane and I was traveling around the world for like the next, you know, nine to ten months. Wow, um, that's incredible. So going and traveling around and just kind of having these same charismatic experiences with, with different people oh, yeah. around the world. Yeah, no, it, it really was a beautiful time. But first of all, I got to go places. I mean, look, I was a lower middle class kid from Boston. Like, right. And I've always been like a history buff. And I was getting to see places that I, I dreamed of. Wow. You know, I was getting to go places that, you know, and he would go in and you know, we'd be like guests of the country. So we'd be staying at like the... The, the, the top places. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. You know, me being 25. So my job ended up, I was like his personal assistant, right? So I was with him 24-7. And this guy was a night owl. But I'm 25. I got all this energy. So when he would go to sleep at night, I would sneak out and check out these cities and go and, like, walk all around yeah. them. And Because uh, I'm like, when am I ever going to get back to Paris again or London or Barcelona? Sure. It was just an amazing experience. And I remember we were down in Guyana, South America, right? That's where Jonestown is. Okay. Uh, you know, Jim Jones, don't drink the Kool-Aid, that whole right. thing. I remember we were having a, a big crusade there, and I had never seen poverty like that. This was something you see on TV. It's always there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Calcutta, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, like, this is right here in front of me, and we're flying around the world in a private jet. I mean, I had... Wolfgang Puck served me dinner the week before wow. <laughs> in Beverly Hills, wow. you know, because because of his stature, sure, he had, you know, and we were having dinner with Larry King. Right. Uh, so I went from that to like this poverty, and like that's that spirit of God started moving in me again because I'm watching people complain about the accommodations, I'm watching them throw food away, and man, like there's people right outside the window that are like starving. Wow. That's where something in me started to really change and say, wait a minute. I'm 25. Like I've arrived. I'm flying around in a Gulf Gulfstream. God, why are why am I starting to feel convicted now? Sure. Right. And so, probably you feel like you're doing something for God at this point too. So it's strange to have that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, compared to what I've been doing the previous four years in college, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good here, right? Right. right. Hey, God, why why are you still pulling me here? Yeah. So, you know, we're down there and we left and didn't sit well with me and nothing sat well with me. And then we were getting ready to head to Israel for about three weeks of filming some programs. And we were going, we're meeting with some different people there in Israel. And I remember, like, this is one of those moments where, you know, I don't ever say, like, God, like, I heard an audible voice. But you just you just know when God's yes. speaking to you, yes. right? And so... You know, again, I'm doing my thing where I'm getting up and sneaking out in the middle of the night. Because when am I going to get back to Jerusalem again, right? Sure, yeah. And so 
you know, I'm out, I'm walking around. It's funny because, like, the bodyguard's like, I'm coming with you. I'm like, why? He's like, listen, man, you look like the biggest American frat boy with your hat on backwards and your jeans and sneakers. <laughs> like, you know, this isn't going to be an episode of Taken. So we, he, you need some protection. So I, the poor guy's, like, walking around with me, like, in the middle of the night all over Jerusalem. And, and I remember now, I'll never forget this. Like, this this is, like, one of those moments where I was, we were at the side of, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Church of All Nations is right there. The sun's starting to come up. And I hand him my camera because he used to always joke me. I take pictures. He goes, "Man, it's just a postcard, at least unless you get in it." So he's like, "So I give him the camera because you know we didn't have phones with cameras back right. then." And so I'm standing there at the side gate taking a picture. And as soon as the picture snaps, it's at the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Right. The door opens and it's like this religious brother. I, I still don't know what order. Don't we? He goes, "You come to pray." I said, "Yeah." He opens the door. Me and the bodyguard had the entire Garden of Gethsemane to ourselves at like six in the morning. Now, picture this. Like, you know, there's a lot of X marks the spots when you go to the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. But there's some spots you're just like you can just feel. It's almost like tangible, the presence of God. You know, you've got these olive trees and olive trees can live to be almost 2000 years old. So I'm in this olive tree garden that. You know, like those those mornings here where, you know, this time of year where it gets cold enough at night, but warms up during the day. So you got like the, the kind of the mist rising. It looked right. like it was almost out of a movie. Wow. And I just got quiet and I just sat there and it's like it just dropped into my spirit. It's time to go. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's time to go. I'm like, my God, come on. I just flew over to Gulf Street. Wolfgang Puck just gave me some roasted chicken. Right. Like, I'm you not know, walking away from yeah, this. Come on. Like, you know, <laughs> where, go where? It's time to go. And when I got back to California from Israel, I packed my bags within a week and I left. I had no idea where I was going back to. And I went back to Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. After almost a year of just... After all that. Wow. And so when you got back to Phoenix, did you know what you were supposed to go to? Nope. You just knew it was time to I go. I just knew it was time to go. You know, wow. uh, you know I, I was feeling too conflicted about what I had seen in some of the third world countries that we'd been to. You know, it was, I, I was having some real inner conflict with that. Sure. You know, but I was like, God, why, why, why? And, and so I kind of like really I, I went into another one of those cocoons for the next six months. Well, I think we're going to end the episode right there to keep all of you who are listening dun, dun, dun. Uh, wanting more yeah, of Deacon Pete's story. In our next episode, we'll kind of go more into how Deacon Pete found his way back to the Catholic Church and then eventually into the diaconate. Thank you all for joining us and please join us for our next episode as we hear the rest of Deacon Pete's story. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back again. With that, we ask St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, pray for us. Pray for us.